Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are talking all about The Mandalorian Chapter 10, The Passenger. Yes, and today's a very good day, honestly. Yes. After a long week of us watching the news and getting obsessed with Steve Kornacki on MSNBC. When I watched this episode, I was up. I This is the first Mandalorian episode that I watched at I 3 a.m. when it launched, which is actually like, Caitlin, like, isn't that surprising that this is the first one that I didn't stay up all night for? It is. It is. If Number one, if you're a first-time listener, welcome to Sky Talkers. Um, <laughs> I'm Caitlin. That's Charlotte. <laughs> Uh, we recap The Mandalorian every week for you here on our show, in addition to our main episodes, too. But uh, one thing you should know about us is that I go to bed at what I think is a reasonable hour, and Charlotte does not. <laughs> Just have a lot of sleep issues. So it's surprising <laughs> that I have never actually stayed up until 3 a.m. So here I am. been watching the news for, like, just like everyone across this country hours. for like, yeah, four whole days. Like, yeah. You know, it's one long Tuesday and it's <laughs> Thursday night. And I watched this. I actually, this is what happened. I got into bed. I brushed my teeth. I had tea. I was ready for bed. And then it was 3.01. I saw Phil Showstack tweeting that it was almost time. And I was like, you know what? Let's be honest. I'm going to scroll through TikTok and it's going to be 4 a.m. And I'm going to be like, why didn't I watch The Mandalorian? I can't. <laughs> so I got out of bed and I turned on my TV and I watched The Mandalorian. And at 3 a.m., The Mandalorian hits different, (laughs) especially this episode. I was filled with emotion. This episode itself was a roller coaster of emotions just in general. And then it was like also scary. So it was, you know, it was a lot. Yeah, a lot. (laughs) And and then I then I returned to Twitter and I was like, man, that episode was so good. This was the best. I loved it. Had a great time. I love the show. And already it's a pretty divisive episode, which is interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, my Mando experience this week uh, was different yet the same. <laughs> <laughs> no sleep, bleary-eyed. It was a lot. <laughs> and I was like, what am I watching? And by the time we got to the spiders, we're looking at like 6.30 a.m. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> when did I sign up for this? <laughs> you but did. You signed up for it. I did. I did. 15 years ago when you introduced <laughs> Star Wars is when I signed up for it. But I think this has been another episode that I have like reflected on and been like, you know what? This episode is so kooky and I love it for that. Because if you've listened to our show, I feel like you guys know that I'm usually the one that's like, what are we doing? Where are we going? (laughs) What's the point of this? And sometimes I lose sight of just like having a kooky Star Wars episode. And that was definitely my experience the first time viewing this episode. But uh, I watched it again and I was like, I actually really enjoyed this episode (laughs) for the kookiness. It was like once I put down my expectations of Boba Fett as the passenger, (laughs) (laughs) then I was here for the wild ride. (laughs) Yeah. This episode to me was just, I wanted, there were several times during this episode where I was like, I would like to live in this episode for a long time. I'm just having a really good time being here with these characters 
in this location. Like, it's so crazy. So funny. I don't know what's going to happen next. I was on the edge of my seat. I don't know. I had a really good time with it. It was definitely this episode really felt like a ride, like a true ride. (laughs) (laughs) And like, to be fair, it kind of was one because a lot of it was spent in a ship and escaping things. And yeah. Yeah. So where did we start in this episode, Charlotte? Well, did you mention that this episode is directed by Peyton Reed and written by Jon Favreau? This is a new director to The Mandalorian. I I did not mention that, so thank you. <laughs> and Peyton Reed, on our when we were speculating about season 2 and Peyton Reed was on the list of the directors for this season, Caitlin and I mentioned that Peyton Reed has directed a couple of movies that we really like including Down with Love, which stars Ewan McGregor and Renée Zellweger. And we love that movie, but also Peyton Reed directed Bring It On, a classic, and Ant-Man. So, of course, knowing that his most recent projects were Ant-Man really brought to life a lot of reasons why this episode had so many bugs. Just, it was a bug episode. (laughs) (laughs) And I think when we were speculating about Peyton Reed's involvement, we were like, it could go anyway. Like, it could be... And it, it could did. be a romantic comedy. It could be a musical. <laughs> a musical. And it was just spooky. And I loved that. I, I really did. Because I feel like it was, it had a very unique tone. It had a very, like, it was very fun, but it was also surprising. And I feel like I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed his directing. And I wouldn't hate to get another kind of crazy episode like this from Peyton Reed again in the future. I think I would want to know ahead of time that we're going into another Peyton Reed episode. <laughs> I better prepare myself. Although, honestly, I feel like I'll be prepared for anything now from The Mandalorian after coming into this episode from election week in the United States. You know, like nothing can face me anymore. <laughs> Ending the week with Georgia flipping blue and giant spiders and frog lady. I'm invincible. <laughs> You say that like it's a bad thing. And these are all good things. Just like, whoa. <laughs> Listen, this episode has a lot of really cool things going for it. First yeah. off, we see the return. If not, I believe this is the first time Dee Bradley Baker has lent a voice into The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. I could be completely wrong about that. But at least this is the first pretty primary voice that Dee has done. So, you know, a, an animation um voice actor coming into the Mandalorian that's pretty cool and then Misty Rosas is back playing Frog Lady who I think we all agree Frog Lady totally stole the show in this episode Mm -hmm. I love Frog Lady and Misty Rosas if you remember is the actor behind Queel um so it was great to see her back in you know I'm not sure if the term is puppeteering or if it's just plain acting I'm not sure honestly um but i was really happy that she was credited and then also we see i mean we've talked about the spiders and yeah it was crazy and very scary but something really cool is that these spiders were in rebels and i love anytime there's there's some sort of animated content crossover you know furthering the continuity between the canon and also, not only that, but these spiders, I think they're called the Krykna. <laughs> just anytime I say a Star Wars creature that I just don't know how to pronounce, I'm always like self-conscious a little bit about it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this the Krykna comes from a really early Empire Strikes Back concept art piece from Ralph McQuarrie. 
And even when you look at this piece, we'll post it on our Instagram. When you look at this piece, you can see that when they use this concept in Rebels, they actually didn't do all of this, including the eggs, which the Mandalorian included. <laughs> they did. The Mandalorian yeah. included the eggs. Yeah, the Mandalorian went for the eggs. And, you know, I think this was a concept art for Dagobah specifically, or just, you know, the mystical planet that Luke was supposed to be going on, um, even maybe before the concept of Dagobah was even created. But <laughs> it's so creepy. I love it. The one thing I really like about the inclusion of the spiders here, knowing that they are from Rebels too, is the notion that these different animals appear on different planets. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, you know, Star Wars falls into the trap of having, you know, the desert planet and it's only desert. And Lothal is the only place that Loth cats are on, you know, that, but there's a lot of mobility throughout the galaxy. And I do think that that's a cool detail to have these spiders here knowing that they've been on different planets in rebels too mm -hmm. totally okay so let's dig into the actual plot of the episode and go kind of high level through uh where we went i think there's kind of three main sections of this episode there's section one which is we're still on tatooine Mandalorian gets pranked with like the oldest book trick in the book, the clothesline trick. <laughs> and uh, he gets back with Amy Sedaris, Dr. Mandible. He meets Frog Lady, the egg canister of it all. And then they, Frog Lady, Baby Yoda, and the Mandalorian begin their travels at what it, oh, what was it called? Mid, mid speed? What? Oh man, not I should have written this down. Not light speed, but like, AKA not light speed. <laughs> dusk speed. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so they're traveling uh, to the the system next door, I think is how Amy Sedaris's character put it. They're stopped by New Republican uh, ships, X-Wings. We get to see Dave Filoni and Paul Sun Hyung Lee uh, who, of Kim's Convenience, who's like a major Star Wars fan. So that was really cool. And if you haven't seen Kim's Convenience, he's very good in it. And uh, I've watched a couple behind the scenes features with Paul and he is just, you can just tell that he is a good person. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, anyway, so they're there. Very interesting conversation happens there. And then we get onto this snowy planet, which not Elam. <laughs> <laughs> I was passenger with not Boba Fett. The snowy planet was not Elam. I'm a clown. It's fine. And uh, they get there. They crash, they crash again, and then we get hopped up in spiders, and that's all you need to know about part three of the episode. <laughs> Hot tub, <laughs> eggs in the bath, spiders following them. Ah! Dave Filoni saves them. Dave <laughs> saves them. And then leaves out, leaves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they leave. That's and then it. They leave. And then <laughs> this episode as they were concepting it, would you, I just want to be in the room. Yeah. I just want to be in the room. I just I, feel like it, it would just be the craziest thing. And those people whipping out old concept art. They're like, we need an ant man. Let's make him a doctor. It's just brilliant. You know? Doctor. <laughs> Frog lady exists. Yeah. This, this episode was really just, uh, all over the place, but in a contained sort of way at the same time. It's hard to describe this episode. It's really once you hit the hot tub portion of the episode that I think 
you just like completely go off the rails. <laughs> in like, a good way. Yeah, yeah. This is all in a good way. Again, <laughs> when we got to the – the thing is, is like we're traveling through the cave with Baby Yoda and Mandalorian. They're like following the heat path of Frog Lady. And me, I was still like there could be a Kyber crystal in me. <laughs> we could still be on Illa. <laughs> Yeah, me too. And instead of a crystal, <laughs> we got the hot tub. And I just – the thing – okay, so our friend Brandon at Talking Bay 94 is doing a live stream of the episodes of The Mandalorian every week um, on Friday evenings. I was on it for this episode, and Charlotte is going to be on it next week. Um, and we – our friend's Blast Points are on it too. Anyway, so we were talking about this scene last night. And the thing that I – love about this is that you have the volume right and they put a whole hot tub in the middle of the volume (laughs) and I don't know why that tickles me but it does and I love the idea that like after the lights are off you I bet there are some interns that were like let's go get in frog lady's hot tub have a drink you know end of the world. Surround ourselves in these little blobby eggs. Yeah. I bet they I bet they were still in there too. And then yeah. they yeah, anyway. <laughs> I'm Just obsessed with the hot tub. <laughs> never before have we seen a Star Wars hot tub. Ne- that's for never, sure. never. And unless you count like a back to tank. But that's different. They're you know, they're different. One's for healing, one's for relaxing. Both strange. Both, <laughs> <laughs> Both have similar blue hues. Yeah, both have the immediate when it appears on screen. It's for the first time you're like, oh, that's <laughs> weird. <laughs> anyway, okay, so this episode had a lot of interesting things going on when it comes to spiders and eggs. Okay, can't we can't escape eggs? We can't escape eggs, and I don't think we could have. I, honestly, I'm not sure we've ever had a Mandalorian episode where we don't discuss eggs because at this point, <laughs> the eggs are always they're coming also last week we talked about um the the crate dragon's pearl eggs and i guess it has been confirmed that that was actually a pearl not an egg but the concept i think remains the same to be honest i think that regardless of whether or not it's like this is a hard this is a pearl you know i think that we can think about the egg as the prize as the thing to strive for. Um, it's something to protect. Exactly. And I I think that that's definitely why we... You just summed it up, Caitlin, actually. Why we keep seeing eggs in the Mandalorian in a sentence. It's because it's a symbol of something to protect. Yeah, I, I think that this is now our third, fourth episode, I think, that is explicitly about eggs. <laughs> which... You know, I think in the beginning, do you remember like episode one when we have Baby Yoda's cart? And we're mm-hmm. like, it's egg shape, and we're like, look at the symbolism there. That's cute. And now, two seasons later, we can't escape the eggs. Yeah, John Favreau was like, oh, you you thought that was it? Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's, and he's like re- revealing in his coat like all these different types these of different eggs that is going to appear <laughs> in the Mandalorian, like a magic trick. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are – yeah, I don't think I was expecting – I mean, the fact is we now – the overall premise of The Mandalorian, right, is this pseudo-father-son relationship. And Star Wars has always been about parents and their children, 
for the most part, um, at least in the original saga that's Mm -hmm. a major theme of this show and the relationships between them and so to have and and then like in rebels right we have like found family and Hera and kanan often refer to themselves as parents and uh sabine and ezra as their children but even then it's still kind of a a more friendly familial bond you know, mm-hmm. Ezra doesn't feel like he needs to always listen to what Hera and Kanan are saying as his mom and dad. And Ezra also has his own parents and like their memory. And so does Sabine and so does Zeb for that matter, that are all very much a part of their identity. Whereas with the Mandalorian, it's a little different. Like it is very much a father son setup, especially given, you know, that we view baby Yoda as a child. He is, even though he's, you know, 51 years old at this point and Din lost his parents when he was very young. So I think the setup is very different and and seeing all these um, like monsters, different creatures, different people that they're coming across do everything within their power to protect their young is it's just kind of hitting you over the head in uh, honestly kind of an ominous way that there may come a point when Din has to do the same for baby Yoda and maybe he doesn't make it because, Mm. you know, there are other like the Jawa egg in episode two that got that was separated. Um, We do see Din separate himself from baby Yoda in episode three, which is called the sin. Very uh, purposefully (laughs) of him uh, separating the two of them. And then we see that. Uh, you know, the Pearl is freed from the Crate Dragon. They're not together anymore. That protection, that link is severed. Um, we still have a ways to go with Frog Lady and her eggs and what will happen to them. But the spider was separated from their eggs. That link was broken too. And it just kind of makes you wonder, like, we really are being hit over the head <laughs> many times <laughs> with this egg metaphor. And I just, I continue to wonder what that means for the end of our story. I don't think I've ever thought about that, about how it could potentially be foreshadowing the monster or the not even the monster, the the father protecting or the mother protecting their young and how that doesn't always work out. Wow. I, I really haven't thought about that, but I think that really makes a lot of sense. I th- Unfortunately, I really hope that that's not the case, but I guess it does on- ominously kind of sit atop this uh this parental need that the Mandalorian now feels towards the child. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I don't think, I think maybe last season I would have said that perhaps like it could be likely that at the end of this, you know, Din doesn't make it to protect baby Yoda or something like that. But I think that tone of these episodes, you put a note in here that like these, these episodes follow much more of like an animated structure for an animated show. than I think mm-hmm. a lot of us were expecting and I, you know, I say I don't think they would kill Din, but like we've seen what happens in Clone Wars and <laughs> Rebels and mm-hmm. <laughs> and who knows. But I also wonder if that sacrifice could be metaphorical, right? We've talked so much in season one about Din taking off his helmet. When is he going to do it? Who's it going to be for? This creed, like there's still so much about the Mandalorian creed, how and why Din identifies with it. I mean, I think we know why, but you know, how far will it go? Uh, So maybe like that sacrifice is metaphorical of giving up the Mandalorian creed in order to continue his life with baby Yoda. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Just to kind of bring it around is I think that if you think about all the times that the parental figure wasn't able to protect their egg um, and all the times that those creatures didn't make it out. Okay, so then we want to wrap that like metaphor in a bow and say that that's maybe going to happen to Din later. Um, I hope that doesn't happen, but maybe this is like all the ways that he can rise above that somehow. Mm-hmm. Um and be different. And yeah, you bringing in the Mandalorian Creed is interesting, but I do feel like it might become a choice of like, does the Mandalorian raise baby Yoda as a Mandalorian or does Din leave that behind or does he not leave that behind because it's a creed, it's an oath he took and it's part of his life. And then does he actually return the child to his, his, you know, his planet, his other, the other kind, the other people. And I think that, is interesting because it it makes me think about E.T. actually because the end of E.T. <laughs> I'm not going to say spoiler warning for E.T. but the end of E.T. is you know E.T. goes home yeah a separation and it's so bittersweet it's gorgeous it's beautiful like I cry every time and like honestly like if I think a little bit too much about it like I might start crying now and I can f- like I feel like in that moment Elliot has to grow up he has to live in he has to live his life he has to deal with the problems of a separated home and just like being a kid, right? Coming of age. Um, and he has to separate himself from his friend, E.T. And I think it's interesting because I don't necessarily know if that'll come up in The Mandalorian, but I can sort of see that go that way where The Mandalorian is like maybe could try to instill this like rigidity of the Mand- the Mandalore way, right? On the child and then the child not really that's not him he's a force user he's special he comes from a a place of we don't know right we have no idea um so it'll be interesting to see how when we finally do have the final piece of this story how all of this makes sense and how it really does like add to the richer narrative about whatever happens at the end yeah it just it, it really makes you think just to add another layer to that, we have Frog Lady, who is sent on a mission to preserve her species. And the only way that they can do that is if they're if the Mandalorian helps her get to her planet so she can fertilize the eggs with her husband. I don't know. It's a little unclear. <laughs> because they're going to expire. Um, and that was the last of their kind. And I mean, you don't have to be like a, a rocket scientist to think about how perhaps baby Yoda is the last of their kind, right? In this timeline, Yoda is dead. We've never seen, or Yaddle probably is too, right? <laughs> if we're going to bring Yaddle into yeah, this. Yaddle. And also, I think, I will say, I think that frog lady, it's the last of her line, not of her kind. Line. Okay, but, well, it's, the yeah. point still stands, yeah, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I feel like, even even still, there's a, a, a rush to preserve this family, mm-hmm. to keep this family, you know, alive. And there has to be a sense of uh, Din has to feel I mean, maybe he doesn't. But as an audience member, you have to think about how Frog Lady will have an impact on Din's life perhaps more than just a passenger. Right. How will how will she inform the Mandalorian had a parent how to put the life of like her the eggs (laughs) which I guess in this case could be analogous to baby Yoda right above her own well I think we're seeing it is and I think we're seeing the Mandalorian 
encounter all these examples of caretakers in different mm-hmm. ways. Like Quill, Quill was the caretaker for the Mandalorian, but he was also one for IG-11. And he goes through this whole very long flashback of reprogramming IG-11. Then we have IG-11 taking care of Baby Yoda and taking care of Mando. Of Mando. And Din uh, readjusting his life view not always, but in a big way with IG-11 and then seeing Frog Lady protect her egg, something like Frog Lady is, of course, like a better example than like the spiders or the mudhorn uh, mm-hmm. from last season because that's um, like a sentient species that he can, <laughs> I say communicate with, but you guys know what I mean, um, mm-hmm. have a relationship with. I will say we got to talk about the eggs, though, and Baby Yoda eating the eggs because this has been like, I think this has been probably the most controversial thing about this episode was yeah. the egg eating. And yeah. I have to say, like, I fall somewhere on the it was a little too much for me side of things. I know that you don't. And I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I think that you know, number one, my first issue <laughs> with the eggs is that <laughs> no one strapped them down on the razor crest <laughs> when they panned the camera back and they're just like out in the middle of the of the hallway. <laughs> I was thinking we're probably going to get in a tussle here at some point. <laughs> And no one has strapped down the egg. I know. I was like, I was waiting for that thing to break or crack or something. Right? That's that's honestly what I thought was going to happen at first is that the carrier was going to break and that was going to be the the thing that they had to figure out and communicate about together, which I kind of wonder – in our, you know, bigger metaphor of Din understanding how to care for things and to have a parental love for a child, I wonder, I almost wonder, like, if that plot device maybe would have furthered that a little more of mm-hmm. him, like, having to buy into Frog Lady's uh, concern in a really big way. Uh, it's not over yet, though. I just want to, I want to put that out there that we had to face one challenge here that yeah. actually brought brought to light a little bit more about. I think it made you and I's wheels in our head turn a little bit about like the New Republic and what the deal was with that. Yeah, and I feel like there was there was a lot of different things that had to happen in this episode that things aren't over with Frog Lady. Maybe that will still happen. And we've seen her. She she was in the trailer too. So, and they're still together now. You know, so that there's possibility for that kind of story too but i think that you know maybe yoda eating one of the eggs i was like i chuckled but i do think that him continuing to do it was a little much especially given that we are supposed to empathize with frog lady and like this is the last of her line and she's very concerned about it and baby yoda just kind of keeps doing it and i understand that like he's a child and like it's not really on him. It was on Mandalorian to teach him. But mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if we could have just seen him playing with them some more and like trying to eat them additional times. But Mandalorian was like, no, and like has to keep stopping him uh, or like give him the ball again to play with or something else. But I do think that I, I think he ate one too many eggs. <laughs> I think I would have preferred one less being, but Overall, I think that the point to me is that the child is kind of naughty and that the Mandalorian actually needs to do a little bit of a better job parenting and being more attentive to this literal child who doesn't know any better. Also, he's probably really hungry. There's something there, right? And I think that I'm 
we can check in about this next episode, but I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt in this for a longer payoff and have a little bit of patience for it because there is a lot of marketing with Baby Yoda with a tiny frog. And I wonder if the tiny frog will become a friend and it'll be an interesting moment. It could be it's really the frog weird. frog he ate last season. I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get it. You know, I the idea that Baby Yoda has to, like, Din basically has to learn how to actually teach Baby Yoda things mm-hmm. instead of just saying no and taking it out of his hands. But I think that, you know, when we look at it from Frog Lady's perspective – it's not great. <laughs> and- yeah, yeah. I mean, this episode definitely uh, brought up a lot of un- – it was a little uncomfy. I agree. Yeah. With you. So maybe maybe things will be different. And that was the other part. It's like, one, we didn't strap down the container. And then, two, we didn't count. <laughs> But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she'll notice. She probably will notice. I, I'm surprised she hadn't, honestly. And I just, um, I got to say, too, though, one of my favorite scenes when Baby Yoda wasn't eating Frog Lady's eggs is after uh, when, you guys know if you've listened a long time, one of Charlotte Knight's favorite Star Wars scene is the campfire scene in Solo. I love that scene. And I think mm-hmm. that the scene here where they have the space heater, which makes itself a campfire in a way uh, when they're all sitting there and Frog Lady is trying to communicate with Mandalorian about how important this is to her. We see Baby Yoda with like his little tiny tray of rations and then he like snuggles up with Mandalorian (laughs) and you see (laughs) the snuggle (laughs) and you see uh, the thing that really hit like really felt emotional to me was Frog Lady like putting the blanket over her carrier her egg container and I don't know, there's just something about, like, that whole setup, like, in an episode that is very, like, we've got, like, the whole chase scenes going on throughout it, like, in the beginning and the end, uh, in the middle, like, this this felt like a really emotional moment, and I thought that the way that it was shot was really well done, of, like, her awake in this, like, really barren, like, I, I don't know, I felt her... Uh, concern and like her fear I think in that situation because like she's in this cold place and when she wakes up even Mandalorian's like we have to get you warm because that's I guess that's like what her like her homeostasis needs to be at a higher temperature than this like snowy planet and um and like her sacrificing that warmth for her children that are in this I guess, like an incubation container too, and not being able to articulate to the Mandalorian what she really needs. Like that must have been, I don't know, I felt like her frustration in that scene. And I thought it was a really good scene. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. I also felt like this episode, to a point that you made last year, Uh in a lot of ways, I remember you feeling like you weren't really sold on the relationship between the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. And you wanted more moments of intimacy Mm-hmm. of feeling like they were closer. And I feel like this episode actually had a lot of those moments. Yeah. Number one, when Baby Yoda was like flung from the speeder and held at knife point. Oh my oh. God. Mm-hmm. And then like scurries back into the Mandalorian's arms. Yeah. It's clear that the child feels a sense of comfort there. Mm-hmm. And then again, when he snuggles up and then also just to bring it back to that moment on Tatooine, when Din like makes the makes a jetpack go and he, and the child gives him that look of oh my god you really just did that or okay all righty mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways to read that moment yeah. um 
but it was great because you did get the sense of familiarity, the sense of, well, they, they know each other. They yeah. spend a lot of time with each other. And the line that was said in the last episode of wherever he goes, uh, wherever I go, he goes is true. And I also feel like someone posted on Twitter, which like made my heart burst into a million pieces <laughs> that the Mandalorian like holds the child's hand and then the baby also holds his hand. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I can't. It's just so cute. Yeah. I fall for the cuteness a lot. I feel like it's just so good. I love it it's, so much. Yeah, you're right. Last season, I definitely wanted more time with them together to like sell their relationship more I think and this this season has been doing it really well you know the whole two episodes but I think last episode did it really well and this episode certainly really uh hammered home that they are bonded (laughs) together Mm -hmm. and even even I loved like baby Yoda coming out to tell Din that frog lady had left I don't know if we've really had a situation of baby Yoda communicating like that to Din before Mm-hmm. Um, to like actively tell him something that was happening. Uh, I don't think we really had that. But I'm maybe forgetting something. But one thing that was interesting about Baby Yoda in this like whole conversation of him watching Mandalorian kind of do these fights and like you know killing people mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know him continually eating like frog lady's eggs or even the frog back in season one, the fire that or um. The fire that he started in season one, as well as him force choking Kara last season too. Someone in our Discord brought up, and I think it, I think it was Captain Britain in our Discord, and I apologize to our Discord if I got that wrong. Um, but talking about like it's actually kind of interesting to see these little uh, like darknesses mm-hmm. in Baby Yoda because he is a force user. We know that there is this cosmic living force, dark and light side. And for a child that doesn't have any training and that is still so young, kind of absorbing a lot of what is happening around him in this environment, where Mandalorian, yes, has a creed and and yes, the audience, we consider him noble and quote unquote good. But to a child like that, like they don't have that same kind of perspective or morality and so watching Mandalorian just like continually get in these tussles, being held at knife points, killing people, even if they are, again, quote unquote, bad people. Um, I just I think it's an interesting concept of Baby Yoda kind of internalizing some of these darker habits that he's seeing. And when those darker habits manifest themselves into a very force sensitive child that can be very destructive. Mm-hmm. And in this whole conversation of Din parenting Baby Yoda, what does that look like? Like when he was force choking Kara last season, <laughs> Mandalorian was like, whoa, you got to stop. Yeah. <laughs> and he's only going to get older and stronger too. Um, I don't know. I thought I thought it was really interesting and I'd never really thought about the idea of Baby Yoda having a dark side. Uh, which he he totally does he does of course because we all have a dark side right Mm -hmm. but what that actually looks like in the future yeah someone else in our discord it was our patreon discord by the way mentioned that this whole concept actually makes a solid case for the jedi taking children and raising them as children um when they are young in order to like get a handle on their powers. Mm-hmm. I think that you and I have both 
been critics of the Jedi and I will remain a critic of the Jedi taking, you know, babies, everything, right? And, you know, basically emancipating them from their families. Yeah. But I think it does make a case for you have to train them when they're young <laughs> or else yeah. you have uh, an, you know, someone who cannot control their tendencies that are magic, right? This is magic. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, I think that's I think that was a really good point because you know, there's an imbalance then in the familial relationship as well as, you know, the community that that child is growing up in. Right. Just to bring it back to Frog Lady for a second, I wanted to bring up that I was reading Christopher Fogler's book, um, what was it? The Writer's Journey, and I thought that Frog Lady really embodied the archetype of the shapeshifter. And I thought it was really interesting because in our conversation about what does the frog lady bring to the table in terms of Mando's uh, character journey, um, I think that she occupies the shapeshifter archetype, which I'm just going to read this quote. This is from Christopher Vogler. The shapeshifter is the most flexible archetype in, and serves a variety of functions in modern stories. It's found mostly in romantic relationships, but it also may become useful in other situations to portray characters who, whose appearance or behavior changes to meet the needs of the story. The shapeshifter serves a dramatic function of, of bringing doubt and suspense to the story. When the heroes keep asking, is he faithful to me? Is she going to betray me? Is he an ally or an enemy? A shapeshifter is generally present. And I think you might be scratching your head at like my choice to categorize Frog Lady as a shapeshifter. But I think for a number of reasons, she might be actually a literal shapeshifter because we saw her appearance drastically changed a couple times throughout this, right? Number one, getting in the hot tub. And I'm not kidding about this. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, when she began hopping away, that was pretty shocking, I would say. Um, Even though that's her species, right? But I still think that she um, shapeshifted, right? Yeah. And then you might also be arcing your eyebrow eyebrow thinking about Frog Lady as like a romantic figure. And I'm not saying that at all. It just usually shapeshifters are like the femme fatale characters because you never really know what side they're on or you do and you buy into it and then they betray you. Yeah. Um, And I don't necessarily think Frog Lady is going to be like that. But there was a couple of instances in this episode where it did kind of make me go, do I trust her? Like, do I trust her? Because... Even Pelly, you know, Amy Sedaris's character was like, I vouch for her with my life, even though she just met her, met her like two minutes ago. And yes, <laughs> like I would also vouch for Frog Lady with my life, but I've also been burned a couple of times in Star Wars by characters who are shapeshifters. Who can forget Goldie? Never forget Goldie <laughs> in, in the, the Clone Wars. Top 10 anime betrayals, Goldie. <laughs> Literally though. And I think... I don't think Frog Lady is going to betray Din, but it's just something to, that I keep in mind because I do think that this flexibility actually is more to do with how Din can learn from her versus who she actually is. And I think that her role will kind of serve Din's like parental like trajectory more than anything else, really. Yeah, well, she could, in a way, like, help Din to shapeshift his mentality exactly. about parenting. Exactly. Uh, I think she, I think they've I think they've all like very much bonded <laughs> through this ordeal. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. you couldn't. Oh my god, the end when they're in the cockpit when the spiders are all coming through and Baby Yoda has one on his head and he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like 
so yeah. scared and like trying his like little t-rex hands aren't long enough to reach the top of his head <laughs> and i was like i swear to god if that spider puts something on this child <laughs> and all those spiders are going to see the wrath of me <laughs> the wrath of me the frog lady uh shoots the the spider off of his head hi and you see this look between her and mando and i think it's it's this – I think, like, that is the acknowledgement that they have now, you know, weathered this storm together. They're both parents, and Mandalorian is helping her get her eggs to meet her husband, who she says they – he has gone through many sacrifices and uh, paid a lot for them to have this new life together with their family. And he is helping her – do that safely, get to her husband, and now she has helped protect his child too. Because we didn't really see them interact very much, Frog Lady and Baby Yoda. And so mm-hmm. I think that was that acknowledgement. And, you know, it's like I feel like in any kind of uh, horror action sequence, whenever there are children involved, it's like you must save the children first, mm-hmm. which obviously. Uh, but you see these parents coming together to save each other's children and their own children. Yeah, it's heartwarming. It is. Yeah, it it really is. Let's talk about language. Because something that we've seen so much in The Mandalorian is the use of language to get through, you know, to make amends, to actually get a point across, to be heard. I mean, obviously, that's the definition of using language. But the way that has been it has been used in the Mandalorian has surprised me so much. Number one, with the Tusken Raiders and the use of sign language, but with this, I think there's a lot to unpack in this specific episode about language. First off, Frog Lady doesn't speak humanoid, right? <laughs> frog Lady speaks frog, so there's immediately a language barrier that is frustrating to Din. I don't necessarily think he's mean about it, honestly, but he's frustrated by it. And she's also frustrated by it to the point where she reactivates that old droid from that one episode. I really liked that, by the way. I thought that was a really good piece of continuity to have that droid still on on um, the ship. And it also felt like, oh, yeah, that episode, which did honestly feel a little bizarre. And even admittedly on the Disney gallery, gallery they talked about how... Um, the uh, Disney, the Disney people were like, that one's a little weird. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that, and I'm glad that it kind of came back around the, the, with that one character. But anyway, Frog Lady recodes that droid so she could speak through the droid, and I think that was a really, it was obviously a kind of a funny moment because she was like, "Wake up, Mandalorian," <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought that was funny. But I think it, in the grand scheme of things, how brilliant. So perfect. This all you need in order to get your your point across is to reach someone on their level, really. And if only the Mandalorian was able to do that to her. But she, she, when the time came, she was able to talk to him. Yeah, yeah. I think it just just shows shows the lengths she had to go to. And mm-hmm. sometimes communication is hard. And even yeah. when you're talking about you know, our our example with the Tuscans in the previous episodes, too, of taking time to actually learn sign language, the Tuscan sign language, uh, or like that made a huge, that made, that made all the difference mm-hmm. of just being able to communicate. And I think it's interesting that 
you know, Mandalorian knows Tuscan sign language. Like, right. Okay. Like, no person is going to know every language in the galaxy. No. <laughs> That's not uh, feasible. Uh, but it just – Mando was just so tired in this episode too. He was exhausted. Like, can we please just take a cat nap? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what I what I really like about I loved when she used the droid. I I was shocked just like Mandalorian was. <laughs> and then seeing what she had engineered, I thought was really clever and felt very Star Wars to me. One thing I love though is I think like in the setup of this season in particular, I think you can really see like John Favreau and Dave Filoni just like having a really good time in this, I'm going to say it, this sandbox of Star Wars. <laughs> And it feels very much like, you know, you know, I feel like when you talk to people who were kids when the original trilogy came out, they always hone in on the cantina, right? Like that's the thing that is always brought up, I feel because like. Because there were so many toys made from that Yeah, scene ex- exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing of like there are so many toys, there are so many creatures. And I feel like that really sparked the imaginations of a lot of kids in that time uh, who are now like filmmakers themselves. And so – and that's certainly I think a big part of like Dave and John's Star Wars stories. And so I feel like Mandalorian, maybe more so than any other Star Wars thing that we've had outside of animation, I think more than the sequel trilogy, has really pr- played up like including creatures and not just them in the background, but them as actual characters and doing things, having their own language. Like the Tuscan sign language. I watched this great interview with a, a deaf actor who played one of the Tuscans and also created the Tuscan sign language. It was a really great interview. But like going through the motions to actually create a Tuscan sign language, not using ASL, American sign language, um, going through that um, for all of these different creatures and like thinking about, okay, what's frog lady what do her eggs look like how would you carry them what does she sound like um i think that these instances and these like keeping star wars weird really just it's it feels like really going back to uh like john and dave's roots in star wars and like their early memories of star wars and I feel like people who've listened to the show might be surprised to hear us say that, me say that. I won't speak for Charlotte. <laughs> but uh, because that's, you know, that's not an experience that either of us have. And I know when I was younger, that was something I really pushed back in in the Star Wars fandom because it made me feel alienated as a fan of like, I didn't have that experience. Therefore, I'm not as big of a Star Wars fan. And that was something we were told too, mm-hmm. um, to our faces and also yep. just like through <laughs> the internet. And that was something that I felt really critical of and would roll my eyes all the time when I heard these directors and people involved in Star Wars talk about that. Because like I said, it made me feel alienated because there was no way I could ever have had that experience with Star Wars. And it made me feel like my experience wasn't as special. Um, so that's why I always had like a negative reaction to that. But I feel like with storytellers like John and Dave, these things aren't Easter eggs. And like, of course, they're Easter eggs and those are fun. We've had this conversation a million times. But like getting to see, you know, this isn't just a cantina scene where we see these characters once. Like we're actually getting to interact with them and they're new and cool and a little weird. And I think that makes it a lot more fun than just kind of entering into the cantina over and over again and seeing new creatures in the background. Um, Mandalorian as a show, I think, is really uh, like, yes, we're pulling out the ice cream makers, (laughs) the deep cuts, (laughs) but we're also just like 
like really kind of, I don't know, bringing other things to the forefront that just aren't new human species or humans, human characters. Um, and I think, I think that feels very much like I'm a, I saw Star Wars in 1977 and the cantina blew my mind. And I mean that in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because let's be real. The cantina is cheesy and it's cheesy cool, you know? Yeah. And I think it's the, what I'm gathering from your, your conversation and your, you know, discussion is that all of that makes the universe feel more lived in. Yeah. To have mm-hmm. that experience and therefore establish these strong backstories that actually do come into play with these characters makes everything feel really interesting. I said at the top of the show, I wanted to live in this episode because I was loving it because I felt like every single thing that was happening ran really deep and it felt like the, this sounds weird, but it felt like the the filmmakers made a commitment to the actions that were happening and I just really loved the way that things were going. And because I I could respect the commitment of how weird it was and how lived in it felt, how in in depth it felt. And I hope that feels so like nebulous and like really abstract, but I I really felt that through in the entire episode from the cantina scene to like seeing Amy Sedaris's character again through the giant Ant-Man character. Like, hello, what? <laughs> and, and then also just through the language and all these very specific choices and words and how things are 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 said and, and brought to light. And that brings me to another point that I immediately thought of you when the Mandalorian goes, may the force be with you to the Dave Filoni. And I, I was like, oh, my God, here we go again. <laughs> She's like, Caitlin cannot talk about this on the podcast again. Like, I was like, we're, we're going to just keep talking about this every single time. But it's really interesting because he knows that as a way to kind of appease the New Republic, the X-Wings, the Rebellion, um, all of those from from days days ago, right? Um, that like, oh, that's a that's a, a verbiage that will get me places, you know? Yeah. Let me actually bring up this Dave quote from the Disney Gallery thing before we get too far away uh, from the the Easter egg kind of conversation or the like the layers of the universe conversation because I I do want to talk about May the Force Be With You and <laughs> didn't saying it you know I do <laughs> but uh, there was this quote from Dave that I think like perfectly speaks to this like whole thing of what you and I were just talking about and it was from episode eight of Disney Gallery of the Mandalorian which was called Connection which is very apt I think and Dave said quote it has to work on a story level on a character level and then the fan gets the little bit of gold in there. Um, and then he's talking. He was talking about the cantina scene and remembering the cantina scene and like different fans remembering the cantina scene and like you said, Charlotte, the toys that came out of that. And he said, you know, these fans for these fans, like it didn't do anything in the movie, but it did something in my mind. And there's so many layers to that. To me, it's just using the universe that was created. It's not taking it in a different direction. It's not just throwing a term in there for the sake of winking and saying, see, I get it. That's something that takes practice. And I think that that is really something that Dave and John are both pulling on with these like kind of cantina-esque vibe that we get with a lot of these different characters that are showing up in the Mandalorian, be them human or not. Yeah. That quote like makes me tear up and it has been an emotional week. So it's easy (laughs) to do that at this point. Yeah. But 
It is true. There's something about this episode to me that all these different beats and all these different like weird things really did something in my mind that really honestly activated joy and I needed it. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the May the Fourth be with yeah, you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just I was like, uh, I know a Dave. Quote, no, I'm glad I you brought pull that up. It. it was good. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the May the Fourth be with you. So I just thought it was interesting because if the Mandalorian doesn't know anything about the Jedi or the Force, really, or these magical powers, how did he say May the Force be with you? Is it really just a surface level comment, and he hasn't really thought that much about it? It would be kind of funny if they explored that. <laughs> And he was like, oh, I never thought about that. But it also begs the question about whether or not, I think we're thinking a little small when we talk about how does he not know about the force when it's brought up everywhere, right? I think we're thinking a little small in connecting the force only to the Jedi. And yes, in this time period, the Jedi were probably the most prominent force users. But hello, we have the Guardians of the Wills. We have the Night Sisters. We have these new force users brought into the conversation even more so since the disney acquisition and like the the new star wars right it's not just the jedi it's all these different types of force users we have force witches we have people who like people like maz kanata who knows the force even though she's not a jedi and maybe just maybe the force is sort of like a may God be with you type of comment. And he hasn't even thought about that because the Mandalorian's not a spiritual man, you know, <laughs> like something like that. I think that that could possibly be the most simple answer to I, why does he not know about the force? I refuse. I refuse. <laughs> I, I was texting Charlotte. I was like, I have this idea of when, you know, should Boba Fett come back into this show he tells Din, you know, the Jedi use the Force. And Din is like, oh, may the Force be with you. I get it. I connected the dots. And Bubba goes, you didn't connect the dots. I connected the dots. <laughs> the dots. <laughs> that meme, right? You guys know. Yeah, uh, yeah I think... I... I... <laughs> <laughs> the thing the thing is it made sense for me coming from the new republic from from Dave and Paul <laughs> and of of their their kind of you know the 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 parallel to the catholic saying is here right it's canonized now I may can't the believe force, it. <laughs> may the force be with you and also with you so with you but i think if we go back to the whole i i do think that it's also an indoctrination thing for the rebellion you think about countries and organizations that have these sayings that you don't even know where they came from but they're just said over and over again and i think that's kind of what you're getting at that maybe din has just heard this and knows that it's a, a palatable thing for the new republic and a way to almost like a password to get clearance but i think it's interesting when you think about it within the new republic because with the the new rebellion the the growth of the rebellion that we see throughout rebels the rebellion knows about different jedi we have bail at the center of the rebellion he knows about jedi we've got fulcrum in there that we see characters like hera say may the force be with you throughout the rebellion and in rebels and so this knowledge of force users is prevalent in the early days of the rebellion and even in the original trilogy we see what's his face say may the force be with you uh, in a new hope you know like this is something that the re- this is a saying that the rebellion has 
had with them for a long time. And so I think like when you get to five years after the end of Return of the Jedi, there's a very prominent Jedi in the ranks of the Rebellion, Luke Skywalker, right? I think... I think it would just be kind of understood that this organization would keep saying it as a mantra, even if people like Dave and Paul's characters don't even know who Luke Skywalker is. And I think in other parts of canon, we've seen people talk about this uh, myth of Luke Skywalker, even from within the rebellion of what he's capable of and, you know, having these powers. So I think that's very likely for characters like Dave and Paul. I don't know their names. The characters' names, so I'm just going to keep referring to Dave's them. is Trapper Wolf. Yes, 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 yes. Of course, <laughs> you're welcome, Trapper Wolf. Thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> so I think that I think that it's very likely. I, I think you're right that Din just knows that the New Republic say it, mm-hmm. but I think it's interesting to think about why the New Republic says it and how it's it's honestly been a part of their identity since the very beginning, which is something that was built into Rebels, which Jabe was obviously a part of. Yeah, when he said, and also with you, which, by the way, is an outdated Catholic Tell us. verbiage. We don't say that anymore. They say, they say we, uh, you know, it's confusing. Um, they say, uh, and, uh, and with your spirit, and that was since 2011, 2012. <laughs> and I think what that speaks to to me is the rigidity of the the usage of may the force be with you and how if I can just kind of peel back the layers of that is George never wanted to use that. There's a couple of quotes floating around the Internet about how George never wanted to say and also with you because it it put too fine a point on uh yeah, the comparison. And let's be honest, like the force is a combination of a bunch of different religions, you know, East, East Asian re- religions, and it's not just Christianity. So it wouldn't, he wouldn't want to make a, a connection to Catholicism. And I would almost say that George would actually like recoil at the connection to Catholicism, honestly. And I think maybe to the point of the fact that Din uses that as like a way to like make nice and then they say that back, I think it does kind of speak to the rigidity of the New Republic, which perhaps maybe was ultimately their downfall. Who knows, right? There's a lot of like that that whole thing isn't really defined about, you know, the rise of the First Order and what really truly went wrong within the New Republic and all the different factions and everything. I think we know a little bit, but not that much, right? And I think there's a lot of different ways that this could go where maybe it's an outdated saying. Maybe that's that is the commentary is that it is a rigid, rigid uh, statement that maybe this statement has lost its way. Also, as a Catholic, you say that kind of blindly when you're in mass, you say, and also with you, it's like you you're reading from a script and this isn't a criticism. It's just because if you can tell I'm Catholic and I feel like you act in in church as you, there's like a, a list of things that you have to say, right? When you're in mass, you you know them all when you go in as a Catholic and you say them all and everyone says them and everyone around them. And it's kind of creepy. Like to say it out loud, it's kind of creepy, but that's how it is. The fact is, is that there's, there's something about saying something versus feeling something, right? And I wonder if that 
is what they were going at. But the long story short, I don't think he knew what he was saying. (laughs) (laughs) Because oftentimes, I think, I feel like a lot of people who know these sayings don't actually know what they're saying. I feel like they just say it. Yeah. Well, there's just, there's, I think that, I think that kind of really, uh, if I can use a Zoom phrase, kind of piggybacks off what I was saying (laughs) (laughs) earlier too of how these things have become indoctrinated into the New Republic. And because we don't see the Jedi saying that. So that's not a Jedi thing, and that's not something that we saw in Rebels, for example, or in the original trilogy. We're saying that's something that came up possibly within the New Republic after Return of the Jedi, you know, in the lower ranks of the the Rebellion after, like, Luke Skywalker is away or not there or is, like, so high level that this trickle-down effect has happened of this saying and what it means of this, like, good luck kind of thing like that's kind of how it's used in the original trilogy and in rebels too but in uh what we see here is it is like you said like this password and it's like what are you saying and i think that you know in in mass like there's a pattern to what you do and when you do it and i think that that's that it's interesting like i don't think dave would have allowed that to happen if there wasn't a reason behind it and i think that I think maybe that's part of the reason of just showing that like this is like this is within the identity of the new republic, but it's not like why Um, Mm -hmm. and people don't really understand what it meant where like the origin of it, like what you were saying, like there are times in mass when you're saying things, but you don't necessarily know where it came from or why we say it this way or even, for example, why they changed it (laughs) to be Mm -hmm. and also with your spirit. so I think it was very interesting and my ears definitely perked up and I was like, Din, I'm going to need you to pick up a textbook, a history book, <laughs> find out some things. <laughs> Please. Please, you know, just grab a cup of calf, forego the nap one afternoon and just research. <laughs> Unless like, the research doesn't exist for some reason because of like the burning of the books colloquially with vampire yeah and i think that that would bring us then into a conversation about bloodline too Mm -hmm. and this uh revisionist history and and what even the revisionist history of the new republic like what they've been doing too uh Mm -hmm. it's very interesting conversation one of the last things i wanted to talk about was puppet baby yoda versus cgi baby yoda in this episode i think i got the glimpse of the most CGI looking baby Yoda when he was eating the spider egg. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen a lot of people say that they didn't really like it. And honestly, I think this is controversial. Maybe it is controversial. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But I think the CGI baby Yoda is cuter than the puppet baby Yoda because you get more expressions. I don't know. I, what do I you honestly think? didn't really notice. I- oh, my God. You know, I'm just, I'm here for the ride. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was more going, oh my God, he's eating something again. This can't be good. (laughs) He's so hungry. (laughs) He's so hungry. (laughs) What happened to his bone broth? He's He's, moved on to solids. He's so hungry. The the poor kid. He's moved on to solids. (laughs) He's moved on to solids. Oh my God. He's a growing boy. <laughs> a strapping young baby Yoda. Yoda. 
I yeah, yeah. Uh, when I watched it again, I could tell that there was a difference. It looked pretty CGI, but it to me it didn't it didn't stand out as well, there's a couple times where I wasn't a huge fan of the puppet scurrying across um the ice the snow, I guess. Yeah. And I, I felt like it didn't look super good. But mm-hmm. that's me being super hypercritical. Um and I also am not positive I even know what a Yoda baby would look like if it was walking. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm sure they figured it out and I just feel like it looked weird to me because I've never seen that before, you know? Um, but I think I liked the CGI version because the cuteness factor, but also there was just a lot of expressions on the face that I don't think they could got could get without um CGI. And I say this because I feel like we shouldn't like look down on CGI characters. I I think that puppets are awesome and having a baby Yoda puppet is amazing, but I think we need to keep in mind that the child is a mixture of CGI and puppetry elements. Um, and oftentimes maybe it's like 90% puppet and 10% CGI. And in this specific case, it was more like 90% CGI and I didn't mind it and I wouldn't hate more of it. That's where I land. I think that's a good place to land. I think it's just a reminder that, uh, you know, I think the Mandalorian is a very technically advanced show and it really is the I think the best intersection of practical and computer effects mm-hmm. that is out there right now and certainly in Star Wars, I think. So exactly Baby Yoda is just a part of that too. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. And just in terms of the history of Star Wars, I wouldn't hate if there was one single episode maybe where the child was a hundred percent all uh CGI. Honestly, I think it would be a cool challenge. I don't know anything about visual effects, obviously, but I do feel like, you know, they made a lot of strides with Jar Jar Binks and it would be cool to see that again. Um, Not that they're not doing a ton of work with the puppets and just even the technology that's happening in the Mandalorian. I'm just saying that I'm open to it. Well, I'm sure they'll take that under consideration. Yeah, no no one from Lucasfilm is listening to this and they're like, okay, (laughs) notes, let's incorporate that into season four. (laughs) (laughs) On that November 7th episode of Sky Talkers, they mentioned this thing and I I think it's a good idea. (laughs) It's like no no one's doing that, but I'm just saying. You know, if there are people at Lucasfilm who are listening to our show and of all the things we've suggested – I, you know what? The Baby Yoda one is at the bottom of my list of all our suggests of our suggestion <laughs> box. <laughs> I think it would be great, but I have I have some other um, personal head cannons that I'd like to see come to life. If it, like if they're gonna if they can only pick one thing from our show to make canon <laughs> or to do, <laughs> I think well I think we need to workshop it. What we're gonna okay, ask for? Okay, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I mean, we can put it on the list. I'm just not saying, like, I'll vote for it. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm glad that it's included in, like, the hat that we can pick from, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But is there anything else you want to talk about with this episode? Mm, not really. Just wanted to reiterate the point that I made in the beginning is that I would love to see another episode by Peyton Reed. Yeah. I thought this was great. I had a really fun time. It was so weird. I loved it. <laughs> it was... It was the hero of an episode we didn't know we needed this week. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was really fun. And, uh, you know, more hot tubs in Star Wars. So 
Let's go. (laughs) But uh, thank you guys for listening to this week's recap. I hope you guys liked it. I hope if you're in the United States, you get some rest because it has been a long week. (laughs) And uh, I I know I'm glad that it's honestly just over. (laughs) Uh, So I hope uh, everyone, our our United States listeners, get some rest. To the rest of our international listeners, I'm sorry if you've been dealing with your United States friends freaking out about this for so long. (laughs) Um, But uh, I mentioned in the middle of the show that we are, Charlotte and I were both on Talking Bay 94's uh, live stream of the Mandalorian episodes. And I was on uh, this week for this episode, chapter 10, but Charlotte is going to be on next week for chapter 11. So they'll be live streaming uh, the episode again at 8 p.m., 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on a website called Scener. And you can check out any of our social media to find out more about it. It's really fun. It'll be with Gabe from Blast Points and Brandon from Talking Bay 94 and Jason from Talking Bay 94 too. So definitely check that out. Charlotte will be featured next week. It'll be really fun. What new creatures will we see next week? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, if you do want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or Charlotte's handle, which is at Crarity, and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our email, SkytalkersPodcast at gmail.com. Skytalkers.com is our website. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram. And if you haven't let us left us a review on iTunes yet, please feel free at your leisure to go and take a minute to do that. It does help other people find our show and join in in the conversation. And you heard in the middle of the show, we talked about our Patreon Discord, which we have a lot of fun there. And there's a lot of good Mandalorian discussion going on on our Patreon Discord. So if you would like to find out more about that and other ways to support us, you can also head on over to our Patreon and just search Skytalkers Podcast there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Nathan, Kimberly, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Vundacast, Christian, Megan, Courtney, Centara, Thomas, John, Scott, Kate, Jason, Casey, and Matthew. Thank you so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. 